0: Hey, it's Konzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence.
1: Welcome
2: to The Baldcast. A production of John Canzano's Baldface Truth.
0: Well, the first set of college football playoff rankings are going to come out Tuesday, tomorrow. We'll be talking about this on tomorrow's show. Also, you'll hear... Part of my interview with Rob Mullins, the Oregon Athletic Director, later in the show at 4 o'clock, where he talks about all the data that they are privy to when they're sitting in the room as part of the selection committee. He really uh, takes a deep dive on what it is to be in that room and the debate that's going on in the room. But one of the guys who has accurately predicted the college football playoff rankings year by year, top to bottom, all the time, never wrong. Dave Bartu, who is known as the College Football Matrix. Matrix Analytical is a staffing... They, they basically do data and analytics that help universities with their staffing. But he dabbles in what he calls the dark arts. Looking at the playoff rankings, looking at coaches going forward on fourth down. And Dave Bartu is joining us now to talk all about that. Let's start with the dark arts. Fourth downs, all these coaches... <laughs> They're all gunslingers. They're going for it on fourth down. Are, are, are they making sense to you from an analytics standpoint?
3: No. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It, it hasn't uh, It hasn't for a long time. And, I, and I've been following, actually, the, the first time I start following, started following going for it on fourth down, in the red zone, John, you were there. You were there. It was first and goal. It was first and goal, and Barner didn't make it. It was second goal. Darren Thomas didn't make it And it was third and goal And didn't make it And it was fourth and one Went for it again And what did Oregon lose that championship by? 22-19? Lost by three? Yeah And I have been glued To fourth down conversions Since that game I was thinking about it uh, Because we we flew out of Las Vegas We had to drive from Phoenix to Vegas And it's one of the things I thought about the whole way Is how am I going to look up this data? How am I going to break it down? And this, this is not, not to get into it too deep, but it's a very complex decision, in my opinion, because when you go into a game, you have to understand the strength of your offense versus the strength of their defense because it changes outcome, right? The better offense against a worse defense is going to have a better fourth down outcome, okay? But then you also have to understand how good is the offense going the other way if you fail versus your defense. And that changes game by game. There's no – these people say, oh, the book says this. Really, the book tells you how to do Oregon and Washington, but it's the same number when Oregon's playing Colorado. That doesn't make any sense. It's constantly changing. But for fans out there, here is my universal rule of thumb for any NFL or college football. But we're talking college football, so it's even worse than the NFL. But here's your rule of thumb. If it's fourth and three or more – and there is no time, and there is no, no score pressure. So if it's first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, okay? I get it if you're down 11, and there's six minutes to go in the fourth quarter. There are certain things you just have to go for, right, regardless of the numbers, all right? But if it's first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, and it is fourth and three or more, you don't do a dang thing. I don't care where it is. 40-yard line, plus minus 40-yard line, 35, you punt it away. You get rid of it. Your conversion rate is not that good in fact so far this year fourth and three or more the conversion rate in college football is 41 percent. it's not even close to 50 50 it's 41 percent on fourth and three or more last week it was 31 percent. you know and and that's the other thing as the season goes on going forward on fourth down actually gets worse because these teams have prepared for it all year so not only does it change game by game it changes week by week you know, so it's it's complex, but when I see anybody going for it at fourth and three or more, I cringe. And when they do it in the red zone, I double cringe because teams that have gone for it in the red zone in the last 18 weeks, so since the beginning of 2022, they are six games under 500 when the game finishes three points or less. Just don't do it.
0: It's like going to the ATM at the casino, isn't it?
3: It, it's, it's yeah, I mean, it's a losing proposition. It, it really is. And, and back to your question, why do these guys do it? I, I think I, they just they just have a, a confidence that they're going to get it done, right? And I think sometimes coaches will do it. Now, here, this is an interesting insight that I've found in my work with coaching staffs, is one of the things that they'll do is the week before the game, is when they're watching film, John, they're looking for an opportunity, a, 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 a defensive uh, scheme, a, a, a punt, or a uh, field goal, or, or something, where it says, hey, here's we see this weakness, and if we see this weakness, we're going to go for it. Okay? And that's cool. They spend a lot of time trying to find a weakness to take advantage of it. But here's the problem, is they get so caught up, in determining when they're going to go for it, they never talk about when they shouldn't. Okay? And so a really good example of this, a couple of years ago, one of the clients, they they went for an onside kick. And I said, why did you do that? The, you, you just scored a touchdown. You just took the lead. This offense is killing you all game. And you, you went for a kill shot at the beginning of the third quarter and you gave them the ball on the with a short field. Boom, scored a touchdown, never let again. Okay, it was over. And what they what they said was exactly what I told you is they saw in film there was a weakness in kickoff coverage and they were determined that if they saw that lineup out there. When they saw the formation, they were going to go for the onside kick. And they never thought about this offense being that good because the offense they were facing the previous year was trash. But it was hot against them. There was no Devils advocate to go, "Coach, this is a tie ball game. We weren't expecting this. We should when should we not do this?" They plan so much when they should. They don't plan when they shouldn't. And I think that's really where they get caught up. In going for it in certain situations is they plan to make it happen, but they don't make a plan when they shouldn't do it, John. And I think that's the real big difference that I see out there. Let
0: me ask you this and because you mentioned, you know, you don't like those you don't like the fact that they're in the red zone, you don't like that there's a time pressure there. Does the mm-hmm. does being home or away matter? I just got to pepper you with a variety of different angles. Like home oh, or away, like a home does, field advantage? Yeah, does it does it does it change your thinking, hey, we got a chance to take a lead on the road going into halftime, kick the field goal? Or does or is home away just uh, negligible?
3: Uh you know home home away, I don't think I don't think home and away is is that important. Okay. Okay. I really I, I really do, I really don't. You look at false starts, they're almost 50-50 across the board. So so, home, home and road, fault starts, there's, no, there's nothing there. I, th- I think they get caught up in that they have to go for it, right? Oh, I'm the underdog. I've got, right. got to go for it. What I need you to read, John, I'll send you a copy of it. I only give it to our coaches, but I'll get you a copy of it. It's, and I update it every year. It's called and, and we use the numbers for it. It's called the anatomy of an upset. Anatomy of an upset. You know, Basically, we just break down all the upsets. And I'll tell you one thing is making things happen against the numbers, that's yeah. not how you pull an upset. You pull an upset by playing really good, error-free football and letting the other team fall apart.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that after the Washington Oregon game. Is that Dan Lanning trying to manufacture a 7 when the 3 is right in front of his face is mm-hmm. part of the anatomy of an upset. Like you know, you're forcing yourself into a into a bad situation.
3: Right, you're, you're going against the numbers. Now, I don't think Dan cares about the numbers. I could, I, he, I could stand in front of him and say, hey, Dan, here's the numbers. Right Here, Here's what college football looks like. I think he's trying to build a culture of this is what we are going to do. We are going to be fearless on fourth down. I don't care what the numbers say. This is what our culture is going to be. We're going to be aggressive, and we're going to be fearless. Now, I could say, hey, you're going to lose more games than you're going to win because of it, but I think it's just a cultural trait he wants. It has nothing to do with the numbers whatsoever. It's just the culture he wants to build in Eugene, and that's cool. I just look at it from a number standpoint and say, you keep doing it. Well, I mean, he's done it three times now. You know, we've gone for fourth and three more and more three times in which the game finished less, three points or less apart. I mean, there's no other head coach in college football that has more than one of those in the last year and a half. So uh, he's he's going to he's going to get those back. But he's already three games behind. It's a lot to catch up on. I don't think he'll ever catch up on that, um, based on the numbers.
0: All right, you, you always hear people say field goals don't win games. You agree with that?
3: <laughs> dude, is this a scoreboard. Points win games. Points win games. <laughs> oh my, my my! What's one of my favorites? I, I didn't didn't you you interviewed like the Portland State dude? And he and he's like uh, touchdown wins games. F- field goals don't. Yeah. You know, and it's like no, the most points win the football game. That's really what it comes down to. If you're playing good football, you know, over time, it, it's, it's just going to work itself out. It's more in your favor trying to be consistent than going against the numbers. I mean, think about it. If, if you're running plays that are 40% successful, you know, con- converting a, a two-point conversion twice in a row, you know, you have about 16% odds of doing that. You, you have a 93% odds, 94% odds of converting both extra points. You know i mean you're you're chasing a ghost you're chasing numbers that aren't there and i don't know where it comes from i don't know if it's ego i don't know if it's media narrative i don't know who's pushing this stuff hell espn you know their fpi says hey if it's fourth and four or less you should go for it every time bunch of idiots to put that kind of stuff up there but that's what fans see and then fans breathe it into the coaches and the coaches start believing it I, I don't think there's a book out there. I just – I don't know what it is that causes these guys to do it, though.
0: Dave Bartu is the college football matrix. I want to ask you about the playoff, um, uh, of course. Uh, you know, I, I talked with Rob Mullins today for a little bit. I'm going to play a little bit of that interview later in the show. But, you know, I asked him about the eye test, and he laughed, and he said – you know, he was talking about data that they get. They have this, uh, you know, access to all sorts of data – uh, he says we, as, as a member of the committee, they got to pick and choose what data they wanted sent to them. I found that interesting because they could say, hey, I want, you know, offensive efficiency. What kind of data would you recommend if I were on the committee and I said, Bartu, give me some data that's going to help me determine who the best teams are. What kind of data would be at the top of your list?
3: Oh, well, the first thing I'd want to know, if I was on the committee, is what is the most expensive steak on the menu. That's the first <laughs> thing I'd be asking for because nothing I'm going to do is going to change the outcome. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. They they have done the same thing every week for 45 straight weeks. You know. Now, to get back to your question, I would want to know scoring efficiency and margin of victory. Okay? How efficient are they when they when the ball snapped on offense and defense? That's my favorite number, you know. So, the teams that are best scoring per snap on offense and not allowing scoring per snap on defense those are your best football teams okay um, and then I'm gonna want you know and it coincides with margin of victory so I'm gonna want to know that um, give me their recruiting ranking give me their recruiting ranking because better recruiters win more football games so you have the if you're the most efficient on offense and defense and you're the better recruiter that's who I'm going with and I know a lot of people listening are going "That's nuts But that's really how simple it is because the playoff committee, look, we can go through all the rankings that are going to happen in two days. I bet you I'll be within a half a ranking spot of every single team, and we only use seven variables. Seven. That's it. And we can even go over them. I can make everybody listening a guru on playoff ranking, but I, I wouldn't get into asking for a lot of data because most of it's just absolutely meaningless. It's all fluff to the actual result which is actually very very simple to navigate through
0: all right we're going to go through that after the commercial break i'm going to ask you to make us experts on uh picking the the teams and we'll see if we can all pick them and also i want you to give us maybe your top six top seven teams as you expect them to land uh when the rankings are released tomorrow dave two, the college football matrix more with him after the break Dave Bartu is the college football matrix. He's been kind enough to stick around. The first uh, set of rankings for the college football playoff will come out tomorrow. Selection committee uh, hold up right now talking about it. Uh, Dave, you've been able to predict the outcome of these polls with great accuracy. How are you doing that?
3: (laughs) Well, Bill Hancock gave us the ranking rules day one. See, while everybody was celebrating the new playoff system, Bill went through and told everybody. He's like, here's how we're gonna rank the teams. Nobody listened. We did, we wrote it all down. Now, what he didn't give us was how much to weight these things. But he said what was important to the playoff committee. Now, Rob tells you, oh, we have access to all this data. Yeah, but the data company also tells you which ones are really important. And the ranking rules tell you what's important. So they can look at all of this stuff. I don't buy it. They can say they do the eye test Dude, since when does any of these people have the ability to do an eye test and watch 60 hours of games to rank teams? I don't buy that either. I think that's a lot of crap too. So what you just need to look at is how many quality wins you have, how many top 25 wins do you have, and what's your margin of victory. And do you have any losses? Okay, group your teams by number of losses and then add up quality wins and top 25 wins. You know who has the most quality wins and top 25 wins and the best strength of schedule amongst young defeated teams? Ohio State. Here's your number one team. No way fans or buts. It's that easy. Ohio State will be number one tomorrow. And all you have to do is add up the numbers. And for the most part, it's going to be pretty accurate. You start getting into the lower end of it, you know, you're – Your top, you know, you're at 11 through 25, then it gets a little bit dicier. But for the most part, your top teams are going to dominate in margin of victory, top 25 wins, and quality wins. It's just that simple for them.
0: It's really interesting that you brought up, like, you know, the piece that Hancock did not give the public, because John Wilner asked Rob Mullins about that today. I'm going to play his Uh clip. By the way, Bill Hancock subscribes to johnconsano.com. And he read the piece where I quoted you last time, and he reached right out to me. Uh, you yeah. hit a nerve with him. You hit a nerve with him. He didn't like his formula being out being out there. But, uh, you know, too bad. It's out there. Uh, all right, here's what Wilner asked uh, Rob Mullins uh, along the lines of, uh, you know, what weighs more or what's weighted more.
1: Is there any advice you could offer as to whether, you know, what matters more or less uh You know, bad losses, good (laughs) wins, good wins, good losses. Or is that something that, you know, it's just up to each committee member what piece to evaluate? Because the fact that there's never been a two-loss team in the playoff, to me, is pretty significant. Uh, Any insight into kind of how to prioritize as fans are looking at the results these next few weeks?
2: Yeah, this is where it gets tough, right? You guys are you guys are uh, you guys are asking the tough questions because this is this is where all the debate happens, right? And this is what's tough if you're not in the room to fully understand it. So the answer is all the above, I know, which is a really difficult answer for people to hear and understand. But that is the beauty of the process of having 13 independent members with uh, a, again a diverse set of a committee, it it allows you to have that debate. Um, So it's probably all the above, you know, Uh, good wins, you know, good losses, bad losses, um, you know, sequencing, when they happen, where they happen, road, home. So all that stuff gets analyzed. And there will be times in there, you know, kind of even later in the process, where you have to go back to a game, and you might even pull up the stats from that game. To really review, and you might even watch it again to determine, you know, exactly what happened, how play, who was injured, what happened in the game, you know, was it a, was it a Thursday night road game, you know, so all those things get discussed. Um, but I, there's not a scale to put on what goes where. It's up to each individual committee member. What can, what I can assure you is that it all gets discussed. Um,
0: Rob Mullins talking there. What do you hear, Bartu?
3: The <laughs> first thing I heard was, oh, that's a tough question, which is oh, let me get my coach speak hat on, right? <laughs> and then we got, oh, it's all equally weighted. It's all, and dude, we got just, that was a word salad of coach speak right there. Thursday night games, look at the stat line. Watch the game again. Oh, my gosh. Okay, everybody listening, I'm going to turn you into a committee member right now if you got a pen or pencil. Okay, quality win. The quality win is any team over five hundred, top twenty-five wins. It's not when they played them; it's were they top twenty-five for the committee last week. Margin of victory, and you take away, take away, knock a team down one level for a loss. Okay, two losses is two level, and then a bad loss. All right, and a bad loss is losing to a sub-five hundred team. So like USC, no, uh, UNC has a has a bad loss. North Carolina, Toledo has a bad loss uh, and so those are two teams that were in our original top 30 I'm throwing out North Carolina and Toledo because they have a bad loss but that's all it comes down to You just got, all we do that, that I, I don't even actually know the weights um, but they're all weighted differently they have they have different amount of weight to them but our formula is look our formula is so good we can go through any number of teams you want right now John and if you have your list I will take your list versus my seven variables, and whoever's off more has to drink that many shots, okay, before we go on next week, all right? So, so if I beat you by seven ranking points, you got to do seven shots before, before our next segment, all right?
0: I'm going to pass on that. All right,
3: but let me – okay, so you have Ohio State at one.
0: Who's okay. it yes, I
3: – Who is who, it two? Okay, well, let's start with the first tier, our undefeated, right? Yeah. Ohio State is the easy one. They're 31st in strength of schedule, and folks – do not go out there and look at, like, stupid FPI's strength of schedule or anybody else's strength of schedule. It is the playoff committee strength of schedule. Bill Hancock gave it to you, okay? And that's exactly what we use. So, o- Ohio State, of the top five teams, they're at 31, okay? Florida State is at 53. Florida State is our number two team. They got three quality wins. They lost two last week because two teams they beat – lost over the weekend so they took a step back they were number one in our on our numbers last week and they have two uh they have two top 25 wins so they're number two number three 88 strength of schedule four quality wins zero top 25 wins they ain't played nobody that would be michigan but michigan's margin of victory is number one in the country so that bumps them up to three over georgia and washington now those last two it's up to you to pick Right? It could be Washington, it could be Georgia, Washington's strength of schedule is 104, Georgia is 108, Washington has two quality wins, Georgia has two quality wins. The difference really is Washington has one top 25 win, beating Oregon at home, Georgia has no top 25 wins. Georgia has two quality wins, they've really not played anybody Georgia's margin of victory is better than Washington. So I think the committee might sneak Georgia in at four just because they think it's a stronger team. It's yeah. kind of a false projection. I think Washington and Georgia are four and a half. If you if you put them both at four and a half, I think you're going to get that. That That's where those two are going to be, at least in your five undefeated at the top of the list. It, where is
0: Oregon on your list? Do they Do they creep up to six?
3: No! 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 God! No! God! No! Dude, they didn't play nobody. Uh, their 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 strength of schedules eighty four. They got two quality wins. Their non conference. Their non conference is really hurting them. Like we talked about, Washington. They beat being the pants terrible.
0: off of Utah. You can't say they didn't play nobody.
3: Okay, they, they they didn't they didn't play the schedule but ab- like the guys above them okay right Texas has four quality wins Oregon has two Texas has two top twenty five wins Alabama has two top twenty five wins they have three quality wins so it's Texas at six Alabama at seven now Oklahoma and, and Ole Miss eight nine could be eight nine now now Oregon they could sneak them up because if they believe Oregon's going to beat Washington in a rematch they'll push Oregon as high as eight maybe right above or below Oklahoma. Ole Miss has very similar numbers to Oklahoma, but Ole Miss really doesn't factor into the championship race because they have to win out. They've got to beat A&M and Georgia back-to-back, and Alabama has to lose two out of the next four. Not going to happen because Alabama is going to win the SEC title. So I don't think Ole Miss is going to get the treatment somebody else might get. We do have Oregon right there uh, below those, uh, those guys at number 10. I think that Ole Miss, Oklahoma, Oregon at eight, nine, ten is going to be funky. But I'm I'm pretty keyed into Texas at six, Alabama at seven.
0: Dave Bartu is the College Football Matrix. I love this man. I love that you're geeking out on it. Where can people find out more about you? Obviously, they can follow you on Twitter at uh, CFB Matrix uh, on Twitter. Uh, you hear him on the show, obviously. But Dave, where else can they find you?
3: No, well, I mean, they could buy me at any McMinimums. If you buy me a beer, because a lot of people may not realize that I'm right. I'm in Forest Grove, Oregon. I'm right in y'all's backyard. You know, if somebody wants to buy me a beer, I will tell you all the college football stories I can't even tell on the air. You just got to put your phone away. Um, but uh no it says CFP Matrix on Twitter. my DMs are always open. You can hit me on my text line 9712178419. Bill Hancock you can call me too if you want to talk about it. That's the same number that he, he, you, know he was get over me you, you know what he was mad about you
0: know what Hancock was mad about he was mad about the headline because on the headline I had said lies, damned lies and the college football playoff meaning I was playing <laughs> off of, I was playing off of lies damn lies and statistics. And he oh, got mad because he, he thought I was calling the playoff a lie.
3: No, it's it's not. Actually, the playoff <laughs> committee is, is remarkably consistent. I think that's the biggest right. misnomer. Everybody thinks yeah. it changes, All right. and it I, hasn't changed.
0: We got to roll. We got to roll. Oh, You're the best. Killer. You're the best. Thank you, Money. man. Dave Part 2, always great. Good stuff from Part 2. You're going to hear more from Rob Mullins coming up. Leave it right here. Well, my Monday mailbag is out. Every Monday, I take questions from readers at johnconzano.com and one of the questions in the mailbag was for chip kelly and the question was how does it how is it that chip kelly sleeps so well on a plane how is it that he sleeps so well on a plane well i reached out to chip kelly today i said hey in my mailbag reader wants to know how come or how easy is it for you to sleep on a plane because chip kelly has said he sleeps like a baby on a plane And uh, this is the kind of hard-hitting, deep-dive stuff that I I get into in the mailbag. But I always, when people ask questions, I don't just kind of riff off the top of my head. Like, I don't know the answer to that question. So I have to reach out to Chip Kelly, which I did this morning. And Chip Kelly got right back to me with the answer. And then, three hours later, he followed up with more. He was thinking about it in that, three, in that three hours. Like, what else could I tell these good readers? And so I have that answer in the mailbag. If you subscribe at johnconzano.com, you got it. If you want to see it, just go there. And uh, it's one of it's like the third question in. Chip Kelly telling people what advice he might provide for the rest of us. I also took a deep dive on the Pack 2 scheduling plan. How Oregon and Washington's move to the Big Ten will impact football kickoff times. And uh, you're going to hear a little bit of that answer from Rob Mullins, the Oregon Athletic Director, as I asked him that question in an interview that uh, will appear on Konzano and Wilner, the podcast. Uh, We uh, interviewed Rob Mullins because he's a former member of the Playoff Selection Committee. In fact, he's the former chair of the Selection Committee. And he kind of told us how the sausage is made. But the um, interview, the portion of the interview you're gonna hear here starts with me asking Rob Mullins about the contract extension that he offered Dan Lanning. He went early on Lanning. Remember, Lanning is just coming off a ten win season, just entering season two. He's one year into his initial deal, and Oregon did a unthinkable thing. It extended his contract early. Maybe it was a precursor. Maybe they knew they were going to the Big Ten. Maybe they knew they needed him locked up. Maybe they were talking with him about it, and he said, hey, I need that job security if we're going to go into the Big Ten. I don't know. But I asked Rob Mullins, what did he see in Dan Lanning that made him want to extend him early? The interview starts with that. You're going to hear John Wilder and I peppering Rob Mullins, the Oregon Athletic Director, here.
2: Well, obviously, when we identified Dan, uh, you know, as the next head coach at the University of Oregon, um, you know, we we knew the DNA, Um, but what we quickly learned when he got here um, is he's wise uh, beyond his years um, in the way that he approached modern college athletics, modern college football. Um, You know, he's kind of been a student of the game in every way possible up to and including, you know, how does the transfer portal work? How does name, image, likeness work? Um, But the biggest piece for us that started day one when he arrived here in Eugene is his understanding of connection, his understanding of how to build a culture and an environment for everybody to be successful. Um, Obviously, the X's and O's are there. Um, but the piece that, you know, that became evident on what was going to be kind of that extra 1% or all the things that he does to connect the student athletes, to connect the staff, um, to give you that, you know, that extra advantage, uh, that separator, if you will, um, and, you know, when it, w- whether it's his Get Real sessions um, or the way that he handles any type of issue, uh, the communication is next level. And so, for us, uh, you know, we saw the foundation that was being built. We've seen the leadership. We know the person. um, And we think there's an opportunity long-term to really take this place somewhere special.
1: Rob, I'm fascinated by the broader piece to that of how schools are handling coaching contracts. You know, because it seems like the marketplace, obviously, is pushing salaries up. Uh, it doesn't. It feels like agents have more leverage than ever. How do you view that whole dynamic between school? You know, as you are, are the representative of Oregon in the negotiations with Dan uh, or any other coach. How do you view the dynamic, the shifting dynamic of school for agent, coach, and marketplace? Yeah,
2: no, you're 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 exactly right. It is difficult, uh, no doubt. And whether you agree or don't agree uh, with the structure, you have to understand that, you know, it is a marketplace. Um, And a lot of this is marketplace driven. So, you know, when you're doing an assessment um, on where, you know, if you're in that market is, you know, where do we fit in the marketplace? What works at our institution? Um, And it varies institution to institution. Again, whether you agree or disagree with the market, you have to determine who you want to be. Where you want to be, and how do you make that fit with who you are? Uh, so you know you have to look at yourself first, uh, then then you know evaluate the landscape and say where do we fit, how do we fit, um, and then go about trying to find you know the right leader. <laughs>